Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Greg Hill, one star. I gave this self-absorbed hipster a few tries, but his conversations were meh. And when I tried to show him some fan fiction I wrote about the Teletubbies and a kind of reservoir dogs situation, he was like, I'm too busy. Yesterday I was trying to sleep at my desk and he was like, wake up. He's rude, horrible, and overrated, and I Kion, wouldn't. what are you doing? Oh, no, um, nothing. Not um, just playing a game on my phone. Angry Farms. I've never heard of that game. Can I see? Oh, you wouldn't like it. It's a very, uh, it's very angry, and there are like so many farms. It's odd because it sounded as I came in as if you were writing negative things about me. Okay, you got me. It's a cool new app called People, and you get to write reviews of actual people you know. You gave me one star? You know how the interwebs are. I'm going to get a lot more clicks if I go negative. But I thought we were friends. Friends? Where are you living? 2007? Friends is so last decade. Friends is so subjective. I'm grateful that we live in an age where human beings can be assigned numerical values and, and relationships can be expressed in algorithms based on web traffic. That is so tragic and inhuman. It makes me sick to think about. So, do you want to rate Colin? Yes. We've got to start by making fun of his clothes. Oh, totally. And his hair. This is going to take a while. So the rest of you listen to the nose, discuss the Kim Davis-Pope Francis Summit. And now, Greg, type this in. He's got the worst toupee in public radio, Colin McEnroe. I kind of do have the worst toupee in public radio, and it's like the, the problem. The only difference between my hair and the worst toupee in public radio is, like, toupees are pretty consistent, you know. Whereas my hair like just goes wrong in different ways every day. So there really is a new app called People. Well, it's not here yet. It's it's baited, as they say, and probably in late November or sometime, uh, people will be able to put an app on their phone and rate other people. We're going to tell you a little bit more about that and why, in fact, it probably does, uh, you know sum up Yates' The Second Coming or something. It's just, it's not a good situation. But uh, before that, we are going to talk about the summit meeting between uh, Kim Davis, uh, the county clerk who didn't want to do her job when it came to wedding licenses, and Pope Francis and what all that means. Uh, We're also going to talk about the MacArthur Genius Grants, which came out this week and are usually kind of an occasion for a little bit of sadness for some of us who think that we probably are geniuses, just not geniuses with grants. But um, is it, on balance, is it a good thing to be picking winners and losers at the Genius Game? Let me tell you who's in the studio with us right now. James Hanley, who is uh, the uh, B- he is the genius behind Trinity Cine Studio, uh, and uh, Tanisha Dugan, uh, one of the geniuses over at TheaterWorks, and uh, Carolyn Payne, an independent freelance genius <laughs> in the fields of comedy and dance and acting and blogging and other things that I can't even think of right now. So that's who's here with us. We are going to, and I think probably it's most people know, one of the less publicized at the time events in Pope Francis's whirlwind tour of the United States was um, a closed-door meeting, essentially, with Kim Davis. Uh, she is, of course, uh, the woman who would rather go to a jail than um, sign wedding licenses for gay marriages. So, um, you know, I mean, it sort of so it was this, uh, information was released 
um, after the tour, as they say. Uh, and it, uh, for some people who really kind of had flung their arms around the idea of Pope Francis, um, it was a little bit of a dash of cold water. So um, I think I'm going to save James for last on this one. Let him kind of build up a little bit here. He never did fling his arms around Pope Francis. And I doubt very much he ever will. But Carolyn, you're sitting right here with a, you're a Pope Francis doll. You've got merch. You brought, you, you've got Pope Francis merch here with you. Bought into it literally. Uh, no, I, I, the, I have to explain the the doll. I did I did purchase a Pope Francis doll. It was uh, at the request of my mother, who had seen it on television. So I was in the city filming. We should actually emphasize that you are not Catholic. I am not. Neither and your mother is, she. is not Catholic. No, Mm-mm. no, and that's so that that's how deep this all goes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I was filming in New York. Uh, the two days that the Pope was in New York, and then I was filming in Philly over the weekend while the Pope was there as well. So I was on the same tour circuit as the Pope, uh, never ran into him. But I did get to see the hype surrounding this, um, especially in a place like Philadelphia. Like, New York deals with things, you know, it's it's just kind of like commonplace to have excitement in New York. Philly, on the other hand, had completely shut down. Uh, You know, the city literally was just roped off Center City uh, and and people were lining up at six in the morning just to wave at the, you know, Pope procession and the like 95, which comes into Philly, was completely shut down because he was coming into the airport. So it was just interesting to kind of see this hoopla and see people wearing T-shirts with the Pope and waving Pope heads and buying the Pope dolls, and which apparently sold out, which is why my mother desperately wanted one to her. I think this is like the next Beanie Baby investment. <laughs> this is her retirement fund. Um, but the people, just the excitement around this Pope and getting to see that in New York and Philadelphia firsthand was crazy. And just the marketing around it. Uh, I, I think I mentioned in an email that they restaurants were doing Pope brunches where you could get eggs benediction and bloody holy marys and <laughs> <laughs> i think at that point the battle is kind of lost in some way. It just seems, but, you, but so you have you i think you have a roommate who's gay you have a lot I of do. Fun. you work, mm-hmm. i mean so i mean <sighs> yeah does does this come as a shock i guess well it did because yeah. you know everything i had been listening to so i kind of saw this all this excitement around the pope and uh, and just then hearing bits and pieces of what he said, I, I, I supported. I was like, yeah, he's saying the golden rule. And that's really, I believe that that's kind of what, as humans, we should be. So I was like, yeah, all right, Pope Francis, you seem cool. I would Netflix and chill with you. Like, I get this. But then uh, I guess it was like a couple of days ago when this broke that he he met with Kim Davis. It It really, it hit me in this kind of like slimy way. I felt sort of very... I, just it, it felt betrayed like I felt like I was betrayed kind of in how he projected this image and then I, I mean and I understand that he hasn't necessarily made statements I think as far as his beliefs and in, uh, in gay marriage but that to to meet with her and so I, I just found this to be really like jarring it changed the way it changed the taste in my mouth from what I thought had been a very good experience for the country and for how people were kind of all people of all religions were sort of rallying around. All right, this guy seems cool. Like I, and and then to have this, this was kind of like, oh, oh, he's just like he's not cool. He's Catholic. Actually, during our mic checks, uh, Carolyn r- revealed that the taste in her mouth is that of salted caramel <laughs> mocha lattes. So the Pope turns out not to be uh, a caramel salted. <laughs> They're mocha so good. Latte. So. 
So, Tanisha, uh, one of the things that's happened here is um, that the Pope or the Vatican started to walk this back a little tiny bit, right? They put out a statement today today the Pope didn't enter into the details of the situation of Mrs. Davis, and his meeting with her should not be considered a form of support for her position in all of its particular particular and complex aspects. So is that going to work? I mean, I guess it depends. I've been trying to figure out how one is granted a meeting with the Pope, because I feel like that would answer some questions for me. Mm. Um, I know, you know, in order to get a, a ticket to the White House, I have to get my senator to write a letter, and there's all of these things. And so everyone that goes to visit the White House isn't necessarily uh, aligned with whatever president is in that seat at the time. And so I guess I could sort of buy a bit of where the Vatican is coming from. I'm also Catholic, so I when it happened, I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, at some point, one of these things was bound to happen. And, oh, yeah, at some point, this was would become a media spectacle because we are so polarized. I mean, on the other side, he also did meet with Marky Mark, Mark Wahlberg. And he that, wears that could, be, that could make TV, things worse. You know? <laughs> Actually, yeah, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that, defending, that yeah. moves us in the right direction at all. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, so part of this is, I mean, a lot of us like this pope. A lot of us find some of his stances heroic. But he's sort of like the cheerful baton uh, uh, twirling uh, cop on the block, you know, walking along, smiling. He's got a word for everybody and a piece of candy for a little kid. But once in a while, he's going to bring that billy club down on you because he's the pope. So that's one way of looking at it. So, James, you never bought it. I know from other conversations we've had on the show. You never bought any of this to begin with. None of it. Not for, a, not for an instant. Because I think that really what you're seeing is a corporation in damage control and has been for years. And I think that what is happening here is really unfortunate. If you look back at statements that he is, him, the Pope himself has made, he's made remarks about uh, damage to the family and thinly veiled remarks about the ruling in the United States about uh, in the in the Supreme Court about same-sex marriage, and so there is a history here. And I also think that one of the things that has not been covered very widely in this country is the fact that he went to California to canonize a, an extremely violent thug who imprisoned and enslaved Native Americans, and he's been sainted, and that is uh, Junipero Serra which I think bears a lot of discussion. And I think it's a lesson in actually looking at what people do, not what they say, because what they say is cheap and what they say they can hire huge public relation campaigns and actually paint a picture that is actually completely untrue. The question is what actually gets done. I think that if you actually send a message that it was okay for Junipero Serra to do what he did in California in order to achieve the financial success of the Catholic Church in California at the time, I think that's a serious matter that deserves discussion. And so I don't think the Kim Davis meeting was really and it wasn't a surprise to me. I thought, okay, you know, this is actually the real thing. This is what you do. And and to imply that he didn't know or something yeah, like that. Yeah, the fact that they're trying to imply that it was a surprise to him. Yeah, I, I think that's absurd. I mean, it, 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 either this man is the uh, CEO of the Vatican and he reads the newspapers and he's intelligent enough to know what's going on in a country he visits, or he's not. And if he's not, then why should he be doing it? I, I For some reason, the idea that all of these small meetings he has his finger in sort of Reads And I'm with you, James, 100%. I actually, because I am a Catholic or was a Catholic, I am completely 
aligned with how you think. But I do think that these meetings are a little more flip than, you know, this sort of everyone in the room together. How can we have these meetings with the people we don't want to mention in public? Yeah. Well, I think think it's possible to look at it as flip. But actually, if you knew anything about the context of what was happening here, which is a basic constitutional confrontation as to whether a public official should do his or her job because that's a constitutional office and that is not part of the job description, does not include forcing other people to adhere to your religious beliefs. And this is a serious matter in this country. It may seem like a small sort of issue, but it's really not. And the response to it is an important one. And to actually uh, get involved, I think, in a situation where it seems like it's a flip issue, you know, okay, well, we just have a quick hug and a meeting. I I don't think so. And if he didn't know or his people didn't know. So do you think there was like a, a conversation? between he and Kim Davis, that that it was a planned meeting and that they spoke and he sort of supported her not, you know, honoring her, her duties. Well, according to her, uh, according to her, well, of she course, says according that, to that, her. He was, he, that, that they hugged and that uh, he reassured her about, you know, religious liberty and so on. Of course, anybody who's read that, uh, who's followed the story knows it has nothing whatsoever to do with religious liberty. Right. She's a public official. And as a public official, she has to follow the law. And she didn't. And she has constantly tried to recast that story. And the Pope's visit and this meeting has actually served to manipulate that and take it into her that's, territory, which I think is very unfortunate. It that's means, what I found so slimy about it. Yes. Regardless I, of how much the Pope knew going into it, which I, again, find it hard to believe that he wouldn't be aware or that people around him wouldn't say, all right, this is going to yeah. be controversial. So, you know, how, how are we going to handle this? But exactly it's not about religion at this point she broke the law right. it was is the law for her to do this and i, I and obviously the, like right. colin said i stand by 100 like this law is so important to me and so many people i love actually next weekend it, my best friend from childhood is marrying his partner and if you know somebody like kim davis was to ever get in the way of people that i love having the right to be it just is awful yeah. but I just the the whole the issue here for me was just how it all happened like oh oh and then this happened and that it broke first from her people exactly that's exactly <laughs> where I was going to go with it I was like you know I I can see that there is a benefit to the Vatican to have an a surrogate have this conversation for them right. but I absolutely think that Kim D- Davis is feeding her own ego and whether or not you know he knew about the meeting or not she wanted to get out and say, I stood next to the Pope. He hugged me and told me something that the Vatican isn't even willing to stand beside. And they've said some pretty controversial for American politics things in this you know, trip thus far. So it seems a little bit... Well, that goes to what I was saying again about judging what people do in, in terms of you know, what is their day-to-day operation, as it were. What, what are they actually supporting and what are they saying and what are they following through in terms of policies? And I think that that is where the issue lies, really. So that in this particular case, we haven't had a discussion, number one, really, about the constitutional nature of her office and the fact that she was breaking the law by not being— Which is not, not his domain. Which is not his domain, right. exactly. 
And then there's also the background to this that her own lawyer is associated with Vatican officials. And so there's much more to this that we haven't even heard yet. Mm. Yeah, for so that reason, this was no accident. I, did, I do recommend to people, I'm not saying that he's got it exactly right, but Charlie Pierce, uh, writing on the Esquire website uh, today, um, kind of posits a scenario where, in fact, uh, and this may be, I mean, well, let me just back up and say one thing, which is that I, I do feel as though, uh, having covered a lot of public figures and really famous people, they get way too much credit for the things they do right. And they probably get too much blame for things that they do wrong, because in each case, staff work is so incredibly important. You know, I mean, a lot of the people that you associate with ideas and pronouncements and, you know, especially in politics, but elsewhere as well, are backed by a lot of staff, which does its work really well sometimes and really poorly other times. Now, Charlie Pierce is making a different argument which is that, you know, there's a lot of people within Catholicism who don't like Pope Francis, who think he goes way too far on, on a lot of issues that are important to them or doesn't go far enough on, on other kinds of issues. And he suggests that the papal nuncio and others in the United States walked Kim, Kim Davis in there for, for, the, for this reason, really, to get her in there, to get it on record that she was there, to maybe undermine and undercut some of the sentiments that Pope Francis spread around here. And to me, one of the most interesting points about all this is so why didn't it come out while he was here? I can maybe understand why he might not want to make it public, but why didn't she make it public until until he had left? Yeah, and, that's and, a good point. And Charlie argues because, in fact, if it had happened in real time, it's very possible that Pope Francis didn't quite understand the whole story. If he'd started to understand the whole story with some real-time publicity here in the U.S., he, he might have said different things. Things might have gone differently. It just worked better for their purposes to mm -hmm. say to Kim Davis's people to hold this. You can talk about it all you want, but let's get him out of the country first. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's possible. The other thing I'd like to say quickly is – Popes, popes are different from other kinds of public figures. <laughs> and, you know, they're never going to do everything that we want them to do. You know, I'm pretty psyched about his climate change message mm -hmm. and his economic justice message. Mm -hmm. I was sort of prepared for the fact he was going to let me down in other areas. <laughs> Maybe we expect – we expect we look at the pope and we see Superman, you know. He's going to save us from everything. Um, Did you throw in his, in his criminal justice stance as well? Did you say that? Did I miss no, that? No, but yeah. yeah. Mass incarceration <laughs> issues? Sure, yeah. There, yeah. You know. uh, well, that's that's one of the things that, you know, is, is like so paradoxical about this sort of thing. It's, again, about judging people by how they act and mm -hmm. how they do stuff. I mean, it, the criminal justice issues and the climate change are all really important. But these are issues that are now going to be actually diluted by a, a controversy over something really uh, that is very clear and very stupid and uh, and and unlawful in fact and 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 it focuses on something completely wrong and not on the justice issues not on the climate change I issues guess it's difficult for me because all of these things really are meetings right and we placed our value on what those meetings are based on our own personal values the things that are are important to us you know the criminal him being present at a penitentiary and speaking to inmates hits me really personally. The Kim Davis, and maybe because I feel like the entire um, marriage equality issue is legal, is a legal issue, and I quite honestly could give two 
about how she how she behaves. I actually think that the the city needs to fire her and not to sort of hold on to her job. But I don't care if he meets with her because I hold it in the same place that I hold Marky Mark, which is contradictory, <laughs> well, I, right, I, I, to my I, idea that I really yeah. value that he showed it up to the jail, right? On, on one level, I agree with that. But on another level, I think that there is actually an active campaign to develop a sort of religious exemption to actually some of these people really hope that the governor of Kansas said it yesterday, that they really hope to turn this back in their language. You know, they want a constitutional amendment to defend religious liberty, which of course means turning back same-sex marriage. And so there is another agenda here. It's not, it's partly that surface uh, sense to it, but there is something very fundamental there. And if you're going to take it fundamentally seriously that he's paying attention to prisoners and the vast incarceration that's in, in progress in this country, country, it's got to be consistent. You've got to have a sense that there's there's a brain here. There's somebody actually having this conversation and actually relating these things, climate change and prisoners and and also human rights. It's tough because the entire argument is about your own morality. And we can, you know, the, the criminal justice conversation is about our moral responsibility to the the worst of us. The, the the same-sex marriage conversation, although we don't want it to exist in that realm, comes from that same place because that is the that's the space that he occupies is is that of moral authority. It's difficult. You can't have it both ways in this case. We can't have him. You know, go ahead. I just was saying. I think it's more. I think it all it beyond morality. I think it's the issue of like deceit and disclosure. For me, I, I if he had met, if I had known that this was going to happen. I would have it I mean it, the build up to it would have been an interesting like oh I you know how how is he going to relate to her what or how is she going to cuz she's not catholic either correct no, she's no. not um but but her mother is and she'll be giving her the she, pope doll when yes, she sees yes. her <laughs> Carolyn's pope doll is weeping now I like to say so we actually <laughs> yeah. have a miracle happening in the studio but, <laughs> but maybe not the one we wanted yeah but <laughs> I think that it it to me came down to the issues of deceit and disclosure which for many things that, you know, we only see one part of it. We don't have the full vantage on many things going on around us. But And I think it, it was a safety issue, I think, for the Pope that they kept this under wraps. I'm, I'm going to, speaking of wraps, I think I'm going to wrap this up here. But uh, but a few quick tweets here. Uh, first of all, um, from within our studios, Greg wants me to know that there's news that the Pope met with a gay couple before meeting with Kim mm-hmm. Davis. So, and somebody tweeted that too. Um, so, I mean, maybe it's like Noah's Ark, you know? You just get, you know, I do. I so, think it's like the like, White House. Yeah. <laughs> just uh, everybody. Kim, yeah. Kim tweets, if we judge by people, uh, by, if we judge people by who they are willing to have conversations with, then the world is in big trouble. Interesting point. People. Uh, people. People. <laughs> yeah, people. Um, well, all right. We're going to, uh, I think, wrap up this thing so we can have time for people. Uh, and we have to learn how to say it so it doesn't sound like regular old people. But I don't think there's a way to do that. And the MacArthur Grants. Yeah, something like that. All right. We'll take a break and we'll come back. (laughs) 
All right. Uh, well, since we've been talking about religion, to quote from the Bible in you know, Daniel five twenty seven, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting, uh, hmm. which uh, actually turned into kind of a trope in uh, A Knight's Tale, one of my favorite movies. Um, you've been weighed and measured and found wanting. Well, you may be weighed and measured and found wanting by a new app. It's not out yet. As I said, it exists only in beta form right now. It's called People. That's peep as P E. EP, uh, that kind of peeping people. Uh, and Like peeping Tom. Like peeping Tom, yeah. It, it's By the way, speak, speaking of which, it's unfortunately almost exactly the same name as something else you can get right now that's brand new that's kind of something that lets you see who's at the door. Uh, so and, and the people who make that particular product are taking a lot of grief from the people that we're about to talk about right now. The, about the, This is very confusing when I say people. I can see that now. But <laughs> So what is people? People is, in fact, being described almost ubiquitously as Yelp for human beings. This is a, um, an app that would allow you to create a profile essentially online about some of, of somebody else and then rate them. Um, there are some very low bars that you have to clear. I think you have to have their cell phone number. Um, but you, can, you can't opt out of it. I mean, in terms of I'd rather not be rated by people. It's just not, not up to you. Um, and I mean, this sort of brings up, so this could either be something that dies on the launching pad as so many apps, the preponderance of new app ideas do, or it could spread like wildfire. Uh, and if it does, there's going to be all things, all kinds of things that happen, uh, all kinds of uh, intended and unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably no way to stop the tide, um, but we could at least talk about that. Um, so, Carolyn, uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't know about you. I think we're of similar temperaments in certain ways. Like, I, I'm appalled by this, but I also so I can imagine some enjoyable experiments I, do, I might do with it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this train wreck. It's one of those things that you know it's just going to be so awful that it's going to be so great. Um, and I, I mean, there's there's definitely a market for something like this. I, yeah, I understand, but haven't you ever been in a situation where you're you're out on a date with somebody or somebody's trying to hit on you and like they're starting? It starts out like really good, and then it it kind of goes south. It takes like a turn to just the weird. Like a guy, you're interacting, and you're just like, and you oh. want to deny yourself that opportunity to actually experience it. Well, is no, that what you're suggesting? That, that would be nice too if I had a heads up that like just stay away from that. Exactly. But like you, this way you can offer them that positive feedback and be like, you know what, you were doing really well until this happened. Except not in person, right? You don't want to tell them that the in passive person. aggressive, yeah, <laughs> a nice passive aggressive. Uh, the part where you punched help. a hole in the wall, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's too far. I, but that's, I, I mean, it's the passive aggressive nature of it that we really are, makes okay, me crazy. Okay, t- the second Twitter started, we became a it, the, the passive aggressive person inside all of us See, got tweet. unleashed. On I don't tweet either, but I tweet at Colin. <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> I tweet at the show. That's about it. <laughs> but I I think it's it's going to be an interesting ride with this. I am like horrified at the fact that the cell phone is the connecting factor. Because it immediately made it made me want to go and like clean out my phone because I have so many phone numbers lingering from years ago, relationships past, friends I haven't spoken to in decades. Yeah, but you clean that out too. They'll still out. have yeah. yeah. <laughs> they'll still have your number and they'll still be able to. But I think people you both about have you. Have your, you both have to have the number in order to. Oh, really? 
Uh, I think that was like, and the, I think the I read that if you factor. say something negative, there's a forty-eight 48 hour, hour period, cooling off period, yeah. Where I I don't know if the person you're saying something negative about it was unclear to me if they get to see it and have a chance to contest it or something. Right. If you're, I guess, if you're hip to people and are, are paying attention, you know, the, you could. well, the second people comes out, you're gonna go. <laughs> don't it? I mean, you're gonna people, people yourself your now <laughs> because you're gonna want to know what people are saying about you. It's a new verb. I said it first. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a serious underlying problem to this whole thing, which is that most of these really successful apps are ones that have minimal human involvement, right? Mm-hmm. They have, they're run by algorithms, and like you find out that the latest uh, you know, sort of $40 billion IPO is run by five people in Silicon Valley. In this case, with all of the possible pitfalls, there's going to have to be an awful lot of people actually watching because it's going to be very hard to use an algorithm to deal with passive aggression and, and <laughs> like, you know, like, like all of the infinitely uh, complicated ways that people are going to describe e- each other. And uh, it just seems the economics are going to be extremely hard because one of the other things that's just happened is with the release of the new iPhone, it, the, what is the yeah. number one app, the number one ad, uh, app is the ad blocker, is a new ad blocker, which it, people are actually paying for. To stop the advertising. So I don't know how they're going to make their money on something like this, which requires lots of human involvement. And um, I think it's also something that really um, it, it, it relies on something that um, ultimately people – to me it relies on a negative if you like. I, I mean, it's not going to be people saying how wonderful somebody is. It's going to be something. It's going to be about how to get back at somebody, right. or it, or it's the people on both sides. It's the passion on both sides. It's the ones who really love you and feel the need <clears throat> to not tell you that in person, but want to secretly write it. Well, that's the problem with Yelp. That's the problem with Yelp. Exactly. Yelp is papered like that. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. I, I you, first of all, I, I, I will in the first of all in the immortal words uh, of a great sage, Taylor Swift. <laughs> The players going to play, 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 and the haters are going to hate, 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 hate. So there are some people who are going to do some very interesting things with people. You know, they're going to have a lot of fun with this app and do some. I mean, I, I sort of I enjoy Twitter. You know, I uh, I know it's gets misused, and but I mean, mostly I enjoy Twitter. I enjoy some of the artistry. The people that I follow are often people who do very funny and interesting things with the medium itself, or move a lot of really interesting information with the right. medium itself. So I enjoy Twitter, and I've been able to kind of curate my own Twitter feed. So there, if there are things that I really don't want to have to deal with. I mean, most of them I can kind of get rid of. But I don't think that that's the perfect analogy for this. I think a closer analogy may be Wikipedia in the sense that you know, on Wikipedia, there's a lot of contestable information. And I think they do uh, automate as much of that as they can. They've got bots crawling on all kinds of stuff and seeing which things get changed and locking out certain articles because there's too many fights going on about the validity of Scientology or something. But, I mean, it's, it's sort of that universe, right? I mean – the problem is that it's it, instead of being an article about Daniel Defoe or something like that, it's going to be about you. It's going to be about a regular person who's maybe that not that skilled or good at defending themselves for, from that kind of thing. I might actually be interested in it if it were more like Wikipedia and less like Yelp. No, but I mean, I mean it's still – not complete information, but yeah. at least it would it would be more than a star system. I mean, Wikipedia allows you to have actually well, use the language. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this like people. It's not just a star, right? You can go it's a in star and, and comments and comments. Yeah. But Wikipedia relies on people who volunteer because they're interested in the subject or the historical nature of the person who's being described, something like that. I mean, people are willing to spend hours sort of going through articles and Mm -hmm. picking out things that are wrong and sort of saying, you know, well, you can't say this and so on. 
is anybody really going to be an unbiased <laughs> person who can do that about you? On this, on on people. The uh, thought of somebody spending hours researching me to properly write that negative comment is I actually kind of flattering. <laughs> you just have to listen I've to old podcasts. Right. <laughs> you know. Just go through all, every time I've been There's going to be a lot yeah. of links. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that time she ghosted me. I mean, I do, I do think one of the things that this kind of app does, and this it's sort of an, an aspect of the web. It can give a voice to the powerless. You know, I mean, if you sort of had a really bad encounter with, say, a doctor or something like that, you know. Who, uh, you you might be able to have a little bit of a voice and say, you know, you shouldn't treat people like that. You should see what happened today. The, the, the problem with it, because in fact, one of the things that its mission statement says is you use it to rate your fellow human beings based on things like personalities, their professionalism, and how good they are at dating. There's, uh, and as I said before, there's no opt-out either. You, as, as one, uh, I think, wired wrote, if you are drawing breath, someone, anyone with the app can rate you and there's nothing you can do about it. The problem is that powerless people are going to be as affected by it as powerful people. Um, and, right. and without some kind of group curating feature, you do sort of – you imagine the worst. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean there's an example of uh, – like take the example of doctors, for example. I mean it, it, uh, that is absolutely really important if you've had a bad experience or but a that, good experience. You, you should be able Yelp to, because that's well, a business. Yes, except, except that the problem is that now there are so many companies engaged in cleaning sure. up images and manipulating that system. And doctors, some doctors, groups of doctors completely take themselves off the system. And so if you go looking for their history or you go looking for comments on them, all you'll get is some sort of generic uh, article about them that doesn't tell you anything. And so it's very hard. It, it, it's such a paradox that you really can't get that kind of information that's useful. The one group I don't want to see use people, or however we're going to, like, people, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Just <laughs> testing things out to see how you can pronounce this word. But teenagers, I think that that is, that's going to be a tragic slippery slope because, you and know. These ladies seem to want to have a built-in anti-bullying piece to this app. So Try that on 12-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I do also, I want to go back to something Carolyn said because I think it's also important, which is that the truth is one of the things that's, that's alarming about all these kinds of, of apps, but especially something like this, is the thing that she talked about at the beginning, which is that you don't have to deal with somebody in person. You don't have yeah, to deal with somebody yeah. on the phone. You know, that Maybe it's good if we have to. Absolutely. You know? I mean, I don't want to do it either. I'm, I, I'm as, <laughs> yeah, I know. Colin's like me. Yeah. <laughs> the, Unless I, I have to. Be. I mean, the fewer of those. I mean, I, you know, I certainly in my life have stayed in relationships rather than have a conversation about breaking up because <laughs> it's just like so <laughs> horrible. So the more things that I could kind of outsource to some kind of electronic feature, the better from my point of view, except that I know that's not right. That mm. the reason that there are norms and mores, some of them exist for very good reasons. Like, you know, you can't break up some, uh, with somebody on a text. That's wrong. We know that's wrong, you know, that you actually have to have a conversation with that person if you've been out with them. Uh, ghosting doesn't count. I mean, if you have been out with them uh, for, you know, uh, for a while anyway. You have to do these things because it's part of being a human being. And, and I am a little bit alarmed by the things that are part of being a human being that are basically you know, being projected out into that transhuman realm. And yet they're not. I mean, I think that's the thing about all of these conversations we have about technology is that they give us the false sense that we have outsourced it to technology. But you still have to deal with the human who is sitting in front of you in real time. So whether or not you've peopled about how terrible they were at dinner last night, when they read that, if they should read that or hear about that from their friend, 
there is at some point going to be a human connection where you have to deal with whatever you've done in the technological well, world. And, and that is one of the things that's actually a really interesting thing about whether it's going to be strong enough an urge to say that it's the right thing to do to have that human contact. There's a scientist at uh, MIT, Sherry Turkle, who just wrote a book uh, I was reading really fascinating about observing how uh, kids, uh, 12, 10, 12-year-olds 12 use their phones, and she describes this vivid scene of going into a high school cafeteria, expecting it to be sort of hubbub and noise and everything, and they're mm -hmm. all on their cell phones. Nobody's talking. And it was really a sort of eerie thing. And I was thinking in terms of, you know, with our discussion about people and stuff like that, you know, that that there is an easy way to sort of avoid the human contact and try and get around things. But if you're starting out when you're 10 or 12 years old and learning that lesson and not learning the nature of actually having to negotiate with the person sitting across the table from you who you sort of don't like, but maybe, you know, you need to have a conversation with. All right, I'm going to take a, we're going to kind of break off there for a second uh, and uh, switch gears because, in fact, yes, all these institutions are crumbling. Uh, we can't trust anybody. Nothing works anymore, and we're outsourcing our feelings uh, to <laughs> digital apps. Who will save us? Who will save us from all that? Well, the answer is geniuses. Geniuses will save us every year. Uh, the MacArthur Foundation picks a whole bunch of them, uh, gives them a bunch of money with no strings attached. They uh, tend to be uh, kind of a melange of people in the arts, science, economics, people who are doing good with social movements, uh, trying to create new sources of renewable energy or improve education in Africa. I mean, it's sort of all over the map. And I mean, the first thing that some of us have to do every year is get over our incredible disappointment that we didn't get one and we're not a genius. And uh, and here comes another 365 days of that. Uh, <laughs> but afterwards, you know, I was sort of thinking, what do I really think of the MacArthur grants? This year they were announced some famous people uh, got uh, MacArthur Genius Grants, including Ta-Nehisi Coates, we all talk about all the time and is having just you know an incredible 18 month span of, of really being becoming maybe the leading public intellectual in the United States. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, maybe he doesn't need a genius grant. Who can say? Uh, and of course, also the creator, uh, the Wesleyan educated creator uh, of Hamilton, uh, the musical that you can't get a ticket to. But everybody else is probably somebody you've never heard of. Um, and there is something kind of nice about the the, the blend of the different disciplines. So, um, so uh, James, I'll start with you. MacArthur Grant's basically a good thing? Yes, I, I, I think they're really fascinating. I always really follow them, actually, and I even read the little bios of people. I, what is so different to me about this is that it focuses on individuals who might you might not have heard of, but they're human beings who are sort of they're actually engaged in something different or notable or they are in an area that's been neglected. It's very different from what you're usually hearing about with like foundation money. Foundation money is going to organizations and, and, and big operations. Nothing wrong with that. But there's something about changing the focus that I really like about that that whole concept that enough money, in other words, it, this gives people breathing space to sort of not do routine things. Yeah, the whole things. idea with the MacArthur Grant is that these people now can just focus on thinking, Yeah, which I love. Like, <laughs> I just love or that. Creating or creating. Yeah, exactly. Or it's sitting it's around money. for a year because yeah. after mm -hmm. 18 months of being the leading public intellectual, perhaps you want to go to Tahiti and take a break. Because it's mean, a it's non, there's, you're not held accountable. You don't have to file a report for receiving this grant. You don't have to show what you did with the money. Right. It is just And money. you're not applying for it. Right, even. exactly. I was going to say, that's what I love so much about yeah. the MacArthur. As someone in arts administration, the sort of hoops that you have to climb through to, to get earn grant. any of this money 
often it, you start to program yourself towards earning the money, yeah. not towards whatever your artistic endeavor truly is. Yeah. And so I love that the MacArthur's are like, we figure, I mean, it's a little bit of like a you know cloak and dagger kind of situation, but like we are all going to get together and figure out who's creating stuff that is going to change the culture, and we're going to toss money at you, and you can do with it as because you wish. Because anyone who has worked in the arts and has applied for a grant. Oh, no. No, it's, it's, it's just, it's overwhelming and great and, and, and unnecessary and doesn't and often doesn't feed the material that it you know right, right. you find yourself for. tailoring your yeah. creative vision to what is going to get you money yeah. right. whereas this is you know money for you to just dream big yeah. so you, a, one of the things that i like about it i'm just going to quickly read the professions of the people yeah. who won this year education entrepreneur that's the person uh, working on higher education in africa environmental health advocate chemist tap dancer and choreographer, mm-hmm. painter, writer, set designer, uh, playwright, composer, performer, that's Lin-Manuel Miranda, of course, um, classicist, challenging long-held assumptions about modes of economic exchange and political authority in prehistoric Greek societies, uh, computational biologist, computer scientist, historian, community leader, neuroscientist, stem cell biologist, adaptive designer, and fabricator, who even knows what that means, poet, <laughs> economist, inorganic chemist. One of the things I've been thinking about a lot is the, you know, the sort of anti-curation and, and randomization and diversification and the uh, maybe sort of the other meaning of the word Catholic too sort mm. of and and I've read this fascinating article about the fact that this incredibly successful NBA basketball coach Steve Kerr who coaches the Golden State Warriors um, when he arrived at that organization he said that he wants like every day or every week or something he wants the staff to send him a bunch of articles that have nothing to do with basketball just about they could be about anything you know he wants to he just somewhere there feels like it's important for him to do that and and so it, it, they do they send them this randomized bunch of well, articles that they think are interesting in all kinds of different fields and I do feel as though there's sometimes there's a narrowing of focus in modern society right. society you have to specialize so much I like the idea that if you look at all this stuff together it's there's a statement about generalization. It isn't just stem cell biologists who are going to save us. It's, right. It's, right. It's exactly. Art. It's, exactly. It's, there's arts and everything. I agree. All right. On that uh, profoundly collegial note, we're all agreeing. <laughs> we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll have endorsements. nightmares in which I'm the last living puppeteer without a MacArthur Genius Grant. Today's show was produced by Colin McEnroe and me, with help from Betsy Kaplan. Our interns are Dan Schultz and Sarah Flaherty. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. The part of Phil Curry was played by Johnny Depp. For show pages, articles, and a Genius Grant application by the Faith Middleton Show staff for their groundbreaking work in challenging long-held assumptions about modes of economic exchange and lemon meringue pie, visit our website, wnpr.org slash Colin. On Monday, the scramble's back. And now, back to Colin. 
Before I ask the panel for their endorsements, uh, uh, one or two quick announcements. So uh, on, on next Wednesday, October 7th, I'm kicking off this series called Freshly Squeezed uh, that we do at Watkins School. They're kind of conversations on stage. They're preceded by a, a really fun dinner that you're invited to come to, too. You have to get on the Watkinson.org website to find out more about it. It's a very cheap ticket and supports local causes like Hartford Stage and Billings Forge and stuff like that. So um, and this, this time we're going to talk about sort of is a traditional four-year liberal arts college education education worth it. We're going to have some people who think, yes, it is. Uh, and there, we're going to have some people who think, no, maybe, in fact, matching some of your skills up with specific tech sector skills that are needed would make more sense if you're not liberal arts inclined in the first place. We're going to have two people on the panel who either dropped out of college or didn't go at all and have achieved what they consider to be fulfilling lives and successful sort of self-made, self-created entrepreneurial professions. So uh, before you spend $240,000 on some 17-year-old's college education. Uh, absolutely don't do that until you come visit us at the forum. Go to Watkinson.org and learn more about that. So let's hear some endorsements from the panel. What have you got? Uh, well, she's, she, she might be looking up her endorsement right now. I'll go to James first. <laughs> well, the first one is kind of a repeat from a while ago, but uh, I just wanted to thank all the folks who make the Willimantic Co-op, Food Co-op in, uh, on Valley Street in Willimantic. Thank them for all the work they do. That, that store is just amazing. And the food, the fresh food, the, it's so amazing to have that available in the community and just how much I appreciate that. The other one is uh, we have at City Studio a film called Phoenix, a Hitchcockian thriller, a wonderful Hitchcockian thriller by Christian Petzold with amazing performance by Nina Hoss. It's a mistaken identity thriller, uh, highly recommended, runs Sunday through, th- through Wednesday. I've heard raves about this, including from my significant other who went without me. Go ahead. Uh, what have you got? Um, I am actually so thrilled about where Hartford is right now is sort of an arts incubator. So I'm going to endorse Hartford Fashion Week, which I might be bouncing on a little bit um, from... You're just still careless. Carolyn a little. (laughs) Um, But... Kion actually is hosting uh, tonight's events, and so that's super exciting. And Carolyn will be uh, hosting Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. And they're all local um, fashion designers and models and musicians and all of that. So uh, come out at some point over the next three days and support what they're doing because it's super exciting. And TheaterWorks is launching a Theater Works Out, which I lovingly tagline, let's get physical, which is a uh, LGBT night out at the theater. Our first one is uh, October 14th. Um, It aligns with Third, which opened, uh, well, rather, started its first performances yesterday. Um, So come out for that October 14th. All right. Do you officially give up? Did you do, no, no, I'm good. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I was going to endorse Fashion <laughs> Week, uh, and you should definitely check that out and support all these local artists involved with that. Um, and I also wanted to endorse uh, Comedy for a Cause, which uh, benefits the Nutmeg Big Brothers Big Sisters. Um, and I am going to be emceeing it and doing stand up, and CT Improv will be there, and it's going to be at City Steam on. Uh, I have to Thursday, October twenty second, from six thirty to eight p.m. Cool. Uh, a quick tweet from uh, Rex, who says our own Roseanne Haggerty from West Hartford, founder of Common Ground Community Solutions, was named a MacArthur a Genius in two thousand one. She's now leading efforts to revitalize the Swift Factory in Hartford's North oh, End. Yeah. And I should say that one of our other uh, Hartford geniuses will be running a Nightfall next weekend. I believe Nightfall is this kind of amazing festival of dance and music and 
other kinds of performance that's almost impossible to describe. It'll be at Keeney Park this year. We'll be giving you more information about that as we go along. I want to endorse uh, two things. One of them is that it's a little movie. It's a small movie, but uh, it has some very nice things about it. It's called I'll See You in My Dreams. It stars Blythe Danner. Uh, it's, a, it's not a romantic comedy exactly. It does have the... I think almost kind of underused Sam Elliott, who's just, he's just really great, um, and uh, very key places in it as well. And what I like about this movie, it's about an older woman who's been widowed for a, for quite a long time, uh, played by Blythe Danner, and she's not a particularly she's not your typical rom com heroine. You know, there's something actually a little flinty about her, uh, and uh, and she doesn't really try to inveigle us in any particular way or inveigle the people around her. Uh, it's about whether or not she can find. Uh, love and beauty and happiness. Um, and the answer, it's, I, it's, the director is not somebody that I would really associate with a movie like this because his big uh, accomplishment before that was The New Year, which is sort of like, as I, didn't, I haven't seen it, but I sense it's kind of an attempt, an attempt to do another love actually. But anyway, I, I, it's kind of not going to be for everybody. You can probably dig it out on On Demand or Netflix or Amazon Prime or something. You'll, you'll be able to find this. I'll see you in my dreams. Um, the other thing I want to endorse is I think it's sort of still basically more or less the current issue of the New York or maybe it's already last week's New Yorker, uh, about the, a lengthy article by Alec Wilkinson, who's just a great writer anyway, about Kenneth Goldsmith, who's what they call a conceptual poet, uh, which is to say that, um, well, he basically thinks, uh, and this, I suppose, pushes up against the MacArthur grant, that um, – he sort of thinks that content's overrated. He does a lot of things. He does a lot of poetry which really challenges your assumption about talent uh, and, and inspiration. Uh, and it's it's a – I don't know. I found it a hard thing to wrap my mind around, although there were things in the article that I really love. But it sort of gets back to that idea too of challenging yourself a little bit and challenging your own assumptions a little bit. So it's, it's worth digging out of the pile if you've got them in your house or looking it up online. It's Alec Wilkinson's article about the uh, – Conceptual poet Kenneth Goldsmith. There's a, a big uh, sort of um, supporting role performance by Christian Bach, another experimental poet who's appeared on our show before. And we're we're going to be talking in the next few days about whether we can maybe do a show based on on all this. I got really interested in it. And Greg Hill, who's our Twitter kingpin here, is very interested in experimental and conceptual poetry. So I hope we can do this. I've got an extra 30 seconds here, so I'll tell you that you uh, can uh, – we'd love you to buy and read or obtain somehow and read Purity by Jonathan Franson on October 20th. We're going to have a special show where we... um we have kind of a book. We're going to have kind of a book club where three of our literary mavens uh, will have read the book and will be discussing it with me on the air. It'd be great if you kind of read along with us and uh, were, could also participate in that conversation. We'd love to have you do that. And I think I can now announce that at Atticus Books in New Haven, you if you mention this whole idea, uh, you get twenty uh, percent off on a copy of Purity. So uh, we love Atticus Books down there, a great independent bookstore. So maybe do that too. All right. Uh, all that's left to do is to thank uh, our panelists, Tanisha. And James and Carolyn. We'll see you on Monday. Waterberry, Oliveberry, Woodberry, hitting on New Britain, Vernon, I already said that one, Avon, Farmington, yeah, 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 yeah. The Pope met with Kim Davis. What are we going to find out next about this Pope? Is he into Nickelback? Ugh.